If there was a missing piece of information that is costing you money now or could cost you money in the future, when would you want to find out about it? Ideally, you would want to learn about it right now. It's best to learn these critical facts before you make any financial decisions because not knowing could have profound effects on your financial future. One of the best ways to make money is to avoid losing it in the first place. So we focus on all the missing facts to keep your money from falling through the cracks and we engineer tax strategies to reduce burdens on your income. Welcome to the Roadmap to Retirement podcast with Ken New from Pinnacle Financial Wealth Management. As a fiduciary advisor, Ken focuses on creating individualized holistic plans rather than cookie cutter portfolios. Listen in as Ken and his guest experts explore key retirement and tax strategies that every pre-retiree should consider to reach their pinnacle. Now, onto the show. Ken News Roadmap to Retirement focuses on five key fundamentals, all of which include the word planning, income planning, investment planning, tax planning, health planning, and legacy planning. Oh yeah, that's a lot of planning but Ken and his team know the process. I'm Patrice Sikora. In this episode, Ken will take a deep dive into the first element, income planning. But before we do that, Ken, what's the overall planning process look like? Yeah, so that's a great question. It looks different for everyone, but similar for most all. And what I mean by that is, is that, you know, in personal finance, it has to be personal. And so it has to take into account what's important to that particular retiree or pre-retiree or any of that. And so that comes in the discovery process and getting to know the clients and understanding their why, why they're doing what they're doing, retiring, what their retirement look like, kind of lifestyle do they have, what kind of income needs are they going to have? And to be able to complete that whole process, um, we have a process of getting to understand them. And uh, so that's a series of questions. And uh, and that's the personal part of the financial planning process. Of course, income comes from different sources. And as I talk about income, I'm going to talk about it from the perspective of what those sources may be. Mm-hmm. You know, what's interesting is, is that there's a single question that all baby boomers today ask every single one of them, 78 million baby boomers ask the very same question. And what do you think that question might be? Well, I can think of a couple, but I suppose the first that comes to mind is, will I have enough to retire? That's a great question, and that's part of some Q&A, but you know what the, the real question is? What? When should I take my Social Security? Oh, yes. Okay. I can understand that. Sure. Isn't, isn't that amazing? And so, and, and what that means then is, is that there is a process that we typically go through. First of all, many people say, well, I'm going to take it as soon as I can. Why? Well, because who knows if Social Security be around? I've been doing this 26 years plus, and we've been asking that question for 26 years. <laughs> you know, 
And so it's still here. It's still working. It's doing what it does. I still don't know what the future looks like, but that's one of the first sources of income that we want to get. And I was going to say we want to get right, but we want to get it right for each person. And it's different for everyone. Mm -hmm. Some may have a circumstance where taking it early or at age 62 is an option and might be the best option. Others wait till full retirement age. Others will wait till age 70. It's all different for different people. But here's the thing. It can cost up to hundreds of thousands of dollars of additional income in retirement if you make the wrong choice for you. And again, that's just we go through a process, really, of determining what may be the best fit for that particular client. So there's a lot just in Social Security. And here's the thing. It is so complicated. It is amazingly complicated. And most people just say, ah, they forget about it. I'll just take it. I'll just take it. (laughs) Yeah. And, And that's very common. And I understand it. But if we just take a little bit of time and take a deep dive into it, then it's not that difficult to understand. So that's one of the key things is, is that the social security decision is going to be key to start off on the right foot, to head down that path that puts you really in the the least resistance to being able to produce the kind of income that's necessary in retirement. I think we're going to have to do a whole podcast on that. And we do. We, we spend a whole session very often with our clients about Social Security so we can take away the the mystical part of it so we can break it down. And uh, very often we'll have uh, Social Security experts, you know, come on, come in and talk. And uh, we've done different talks that way. So look forward to that. I, I think that's a huge part of uh, the income decision. And here's the other thing about it. I think that's important to remember You've earned this. This is your money. This is not a government entitlement. This is your money that was put into the system consistently from day one. I can remember from your paycheck, from your paycheck. I can remember my first paycheck. It was a hundred dollars. <laughs> and when I got it was like $87. And I said, what the heck happened to the rest of the money? And that left an indelible impression on me. It's like, where's my money at? <laughs> So I deliver that message and say, now it's time to get it back, get it back the most effective way. And the most effective way is to live a long time and collect it over a long period of time. Well, what other types of income do you look at? Well, very often there's a pension decision and it's going away a lot more. But I've been doing this a while, so very often there's going to be a decision that the company has provided a retirement option, and that option is a pension, and how should you take it, okay? The, whether you take it in a lump sum, whether or not you and, – and move it to an, your individual IRA or whether or not you wanted to take it with a survivor benefit or half of a survivor benefit or no survivor benefit. And, and that's a very, very important decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it comes with a document that may be 12 or 13 pages long. We go through it with the clients, help them to understand what the options are. We get the human resources department. Uh, involved to help explain anything that we don't understand. But here again is a decision once it's made, 
it's made, it's done. And it could be costing in, in both ways. It could be costing hundreds of thousands of dollars over the lifetime, meaning that if you were to take one option and it's the most amount that you could get out of that pension, well, we need to understand whether or not those resources could have produced a higher income for you over a period of time. And then the opposite of it is, is that what happens if you choose an option and it's a lower amount to provide a survivor benefit, and that could have maybe been more efficiently provided through a form of life insurance, as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there are a couple ways to look at that. It's really understanding that money is just a tool, and that tool can be uh, can construed and conceived and put together in such a way that it would provide a result over time that would um, that would be in your best interest. What about income from uh, a rental property or some other kind of business venture that you might have on the side? Well, that's a, a great segue into the next most important thing about taking income. And and actually growing an asset as well. And, and that is the costs that are associated with it. And so this is a, an important element in the income planning strategy. What does it cost you in terms of taxes for taking income or growing an asset? That's mm-hmm. your number one cost associated with taking income. Now, having said that, then, when you think about real estate, Taxes are just a a very integral part of real estate. Let's think about this for a moment. I'll give you a a quick story. I was introduced to a client a few years back now, and um, client had a very large portfolio in real estate and was fully depreciated and had done a nice job with it over a long period of time. And of course, real estate had gone up a lot over that period of time. So there was this thing called the capital gain. And uh, so, you know, got a little reputation about taxes and being able to advise on that. So the client came in and said, well, I've heard you understand capital gains a little bit. I'd like to find out what my capital gain would be on this portfolio. And I'll just kind of put a a general number out. There's like a million dollars plus in in the portfolio of fully depreciated real estate. And I said, well, you are in the highest capital gain tax bracket, and that's 20%. And he said, oh, gosh, can they do anything about it? And I, I said, well, here's your real problem is, is that if you were to take that asset and just sell it outright, then what's going to happen is, is that you are not only going to pay capital gains taxes, but you're going to have a recapture of depreciation. And the client said, well, what do you mean by that? And so I explained it to him and, you know, depreciation over all, all these periods of time. Now you're selling it. It's a recapture. Well, that's 25%. He said, what? Yeah. So I'm up to 45%. I said, well, the story actually doesn't end there. There's this little thing called a surtax <laughs> that you're also going to be uh, subject to possibly here. It's 3.8%. That's why very often I'll casually say to people, well, you know, that's not a 20% capital gain problem. That's a 50% yeah. tax problem. And uh, so happy ending. We were able to fix that problem and make sure that uh, he was in a position to where he was still getting the income and actually more income, net income off of uh, the real estate than he had before. 
And so, and let me, let me explain that a little bit. Here's a portfolio of real estate that, you know, after you've taken care of the tenants and the trash and the toilets and all that kind of stuff is taken care of, there's a net profit at the end of that. And, uh, and that's what real estate owners are looking to do when they have rental real estate. Uh-huh. And of course, enjoy all those tax benefits along the way. Well, at the end of this particular cycle, we decided to do what is known as a 1031 exchange. That 1031 exchange provided about 45% more income to him. He didn't have to deal with any tenants, didn't have to deal with any of the, the T's, if you will, of real estate. He just had cash flow coming in. It was more than he had before. And uh, he's living a very happy retirement because of that. Wow. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Very nice indeed. So continue, please. You're talking about investments. Yeah. So the, the the segue there really is is that we're you know we're talking about different sources of income, and that's the real estate piece. Real estate can come in investment cash flow in many different kinds of ways, but typically we are going to see someone who has a retirement plan asset that's providing income. And that's your 401ks, 403bs, 457 plans. It's going to be your IRAs. It's going to be a traditional IRA. It's going to be a Roth IRA possibly. So when we get into that discussion, there again is a whole nother kind of compartmentalization of how do I pull this money out? First of all, the IRA money is fully taxable at your highest tax bracket. So again, here comes that consideration. When you take income, what are the cost of taxes? Because it's not what you make, it was what you keep. And so that's an important part of the thesis that we have is, is that we want to provide income, but the highest net income possible. And so when we're dealing with IRA money, of course, we have to take into account taxes. The prevailing theory for many years was just defer that money for as long as you can, kick the can down the street, and then when you're forced to take the money out, take the money out. Well, that's a calculation. That's not just an emotional decision. Really, it's it's not saying that taxes are going to be higher in the future, although I have yet to talk to someone who doesn't believe taxes will be higher in the future. But it still is the logical conclusion for many people to take money out earlier in the cycle than waiting till the very, very end of that cycle, even if it's just to do the Roth IRA conversion model. Um, And I bring that up because that will be a subject of one of our future talks as well, how to engineer a more effective tax result when we're thinking about these tax deferred dollars, there are tens of trillions of dollars in the retirement plan world today. And um, that money is yet to be taxed and wringing their their fingers right now and getting all excited about this money flowing into the uh, into the tax coffers are the governments around the world. How are we going to get uh, our hands on that money? And uh, so believe me, they have a plan. So we need to have a plan in order to defer that and uh, pay the least amount of taxes as possible. The only thing is, I I mentioned this with the Roth IRA conversion. You have to do, you really do have to plan this because if you do that conversion, 
that money is not available to you for what five years i believe yeah so here's what's interesting and 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 again this is a whole podcast to talking about roth conversions because when i speak about the idea of engineering that absolutely that's that's an engineering model i mean there's ways to do that with real estate in many cases that is very effective but specifically what you're talking about is the rule for the roth ira so when you do a conversion the principal that you have paid the taxes on that principal you can take out it's available to you. Mm-hmm. But the earnings for the typical uh, client who converts, the earnings have to be held in there for five years before you take it out without paying the 10% penalty. Right. All right. So there you have it. And we take a deeper dive into not only the taxation of it, it's different for different age groups. Uh, it's different in different circumstances. Uh, income brackets play a part. But overall, we love the Roth IRA. Why? Because it's tax free, <laughs> and that just has a magical ring to it. It tax does. Free it does. All right, we've talked about income now. It sounds to me like many sources of income. Perhaps the more you have, is that better? Well, you know, there's a there's a way sometimes that I introduce myself to clients, and I think it can help here. And that is, is that um, you know, my question very very early in our discussions are. Let me pose two questions and and see how you would refer to your overall nest egg. If, as an example, you had a couple million dollars in investable assets and you were able to generate the income that you needed, say $10,000 a month, would it be important to you that that income be $10,000 a month and last for as long as you live? Or would it be important to you that you have access to the capital itself? Meaning if you had nothing in the bank but $10,000 a month, would that satisfy what your needs are? Or what if you had $2 million and you needed to generate the income off of that? Well, I think it would depend on on your situation, what it is you have uh, as a goal, maybe your legacy goals. Yeah. Yeah. And if you need the income, you want the income. Yeah. I mean, the income is most important. The fact that you have money uh, in an account, that that that's not helping your income if it's not producing income. Mm-hmm. It's the income that we're looking for. So anytime we're looking at investment planning and someone would say to me, well, I want to have an investment that keeps up with inflation. I want to have an investment that I can get to easily if I need to. And I want it to be safe. Well, that doesn't exist. <laughs> you know, I, I call that a unicorn. It, it's, if you can get to it, then how is that entity that has your asset, how are they making money? And we need to understand what their thesis is and how they're making cash flow to provide the cash flow to you and therefore understand what and how durable it is and whether or not it would last for long periods of time. And that gets us into the short-term and the long-term investment planning. Okay. Income has to be balanced with expenses. Talk to me about expenses. How do you look at those? Well, the most important really are the reoccurring monthly. So if there's a mortgage in place, um, certainly we're going to have healthcare uh, concerns. We're going to have transportation. We're going to have utilities. You know, these are all reoccurring. So that's kind of a baseline. And if that's, 
two, three, four, five thousand dollars a month, then we know that we want to have a very secure cash flow that provides that. From there, then we're going to have these other kinds of investments. Uh, excuse me, in uh, uh, expenses that are going to come up that we haven't really anticipated, and uh, but they're going to be the wants. And they're going to be the, the the desires. It could be travel. It could be donations. It could be any kinds of things that we're involving ourselves in that uh, that we don't really measure on a monthly basis, but they come up from time to time. And so those are the two that we focus on, the fixed and uh, kind of the variable um, monthly income needs. All right. How do you handle health care? Well, very often, um, healthcare starts right away at retirement. You know, for mm-hmm. everyone who gets on Medicare at age 65, they are in a spot where they need to make some decisions. And so we tap into those kinds of experts in our area that can talk about that decision. It's individual and personalized for everyone. But the real cost that it's kind of the 400 pound gorilla, the elephant in the room kind of conversation is what does the path look like for someone over the retirement life and healthcare needs over time? In some cases, we'll find that uh, retirees early in the cycle have healthcare issues that uh, go above and beyond what Medicare will provide and even what is um, necessary under Medicare and uh, covered under Medicare supplements. And those are the activities of daily living. That's the the long-term healthcare needs. And so ambulatory issues, dementia issues, and so on. And we've found over the years that we need to have a plan in place for that. And so there are a variety of ways to do that. And what that means in uh, basic terms is, is it's, it's long-term care strategies that, uh, that are done with a strategy in mind to protect the assets, especially for those kinds of uh, clients who have plenty of money and they feel like they can self-insure. Well, we're mm-hmm. able to you know, give them both options to be able to self-insure to a certain degree, but if something catastrophic were to happen and a loved one were to be in a, a assisted care facility or a long-term care facility of some kind for a longer period of time, costing five to $10,000 a month, uh, 20, 30, 40, 50, $60,000 a year, then we wanna be able to offset that because very often over my career, uh, we we see one spouse that will be institutionalized, another spouse that will be left behind, and assets can be depleted, and therefore it can put uh, put a risk really to that uh, that non uh, institutionalized spouse or the surviving spouse at that point. A lot of the things you've been talking about are things that we we can quasi control, we can plan for, we can look at, and 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 set our own path. What about inflation and interest rates? They impact yeah. everything that we have, and there's nothing we can do about them. Yeah, you bring up a real good point. I guess I would classify that as those are economic conditions that are part of the whole manipulation of the economic cycles. Um, to change interest rates is a that is a tactic that is used by the Federal Reserve System. So ever since we've gotten off the gold standard, there was nothing really to back 
the currency currencies. And so therefore, over different cycles, we have seen the interest rates change, go up or down to kind of manipulate economic activity. And so the consumer really is the one that uh, wears the brunt of that. And, and in the end, what happens is, is over time, you'll find that it causes inflation. And uh, so we, and inflation isn't necessarily something that ha- re- occurs, if you will, naturally in economic cycles. It's something that happens because of the manipulation part of it, which is the printing of money. And the whole idea that we print money to offset economic problems isn't necessarily good for middle-class Americans. So as we speak right now, there is a ton of inflation out there and it there's no way to hide. I mean, it's everywhere. It's in the grocery stores. It's in the gas pump. It's everywhere that a consumer spends. So the key thing there is that there are some defenses for that. But first and foremost, we have to focus on anything on the balance sheet. In other words, any of the assets that are underperforming. And that's a general term. But by underperforming, it is not hitting the target rate of return that we're looking for. Now, in my practice, we're typically looking for a 6 to 8% annualized return overall on the portfolio. We're looking to do that with the least amount of volatility and the most amount of reliability, uh-huh. certainty to it. All right. So I'm not talking about guarantees. You can't take this money down to the bank, put it in the bank and and have them pay you six or seven or eight percent at this point in a, in a bank CD for a year or two or That's three. That's sure. <laughs> not the case. But we're really looking for investments that have long histories of producing these kinds of results. And typically we do that in the private markets and then just balance that with some of the public markets. And and that's another episode that we talk about uh, the investment thesis and take deeper dives into that. But the idea behind it is, is that first and foremost, your greatest defense is to take a look at in inflationary times is to take a look at the performance of the overall portfolio itself. And very often we can make just little changes and shifts in that to improve it. The other is, is that just don't lose money. Typically, in higher inflationary periods of time, we want to find ourselves in assets that don't correlate to the traded markets or what we call the emotional markets and the public markets. Mm -hmm. And so we want to stay away from as best as possible to stay away from this kind of investment thesis that relies on the market going up. That's that's just a hope. We're hoping that the market's going to go up. And so those are a couple of the basics. From there, of course, we can micromanage a little bit. You know, there are certain uh, commodity structures Energy seems to do well during uh, inflationary times. There are certain kinds of defensive positions that can be taken during this period of time that um, actually do uh, better than when inflation is tame. All right. There are a few other points here I want to get to before we have to wrap up because we're we're moving along. But one thing that caught my eye here in your notes, cutting costs in retirement. When do you think... When do you sit down with someone and say, you know, you really need to re re-examine this and it's time to start cutting back? Yeah, I'll I'll answer on both sides of that 
that conversation okay. uh, really because, you know, I can remember years ago when a client came to me or a prospect came to me and had been to a couple other financial advisors in the area and, uh, and, and he came in a bit agitated and he said, you know, before we even get started, I just want to ask you a question. My wife and I have been married whatever period of time and we want to go and, and visit Europe and it's going to cost $30,000. And so what do you think about that? And I just looked across the table and I said, well, what else is the money for? <laughs> and he said, wow, everybody else has told me I can't afford to do that. And I said, well, honestly, I haven't even looked at your accounts or your balance sheet or any of that. And I say it that way with a question like that, Patrice, simply because, you know, at the end of the day, we're human beings, we have wants and desires, and we want to make memories. We want to have good times. And my gosh, if you can't take the necessary money to go enjoy with your spouse, your loved one, your lifelong partner, you can't go enjoy this wonderful trip that you want to enjoy, then I can't imagine what else money is for. Of course, it's to take care of the daily needs and so on like that. So there sometimes is cost cutting involved. I get that. And we do need to get into that. But first and foremost, let's figure out a way for you to do what you want to do. We can get super creative. And, and I'm, I'm talking about legal ethical things here. Look, if I can cut a $100,000 client, income client, if I can cut their taxes by 5%, haven't I just grown $5,000 that they didn't think they had before? So I want to look at it from that perspective first, okay? Is there something, is there's a fee in here that you can uh, not pay uh, of, of any kind? So rather than you... Uh, very often that that question leads to, okay, we've got to pull ourselves up from the bootstraps. We got to tighten our belt. You know, all the things, right? Oh yeah. And, and so it all comes down to this idea that, that we've got to do something with a sacrifice. Yes. And at the end of the day, we live in the greatest country on the planet. We have a lifestyle that is unsurpassed typically in many, many ways, so many gifts here living in the United States. So let, let's, Take advantage of that and um, and live life to its fullest, but look at it from the lens of what are all the options that are available. And at the end of the day, once we've exhausted all those, we've got all underperforming assets getting up into that prescribed rate of return. We've lowered taxes to the degree that we can legally and ethically. We've gotten creative in, in many other kinds of ways. And then it, there's still this shortfall. Then we need to have the conversation about spend down of assets. And that can happen for sure. We've got someone who, uh, in, 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 as a theory here, we'll, we'll just talk about it from that direction. Let's say that we need to find an extra $5,000 in a $500,000 portfolio. And we're trying to find an extra $5,000 a year, $10,000 a year. All right. Mm -hmm. So we just simply look at it and say, now, after all your cash flow has been generated from this particular portfolio, now we're going to need to spend down $5,000. So at the end of the first year, what do you have left? Well, it's $495,000. At the end of the second year, another $5,000, $490,000, and so on. And then we step back from it and say, so you are going to be able to provide the income and, of course, all of our portfolios are going to be inflation um, 
uh, we're going to uh, uh, take a look at what the inflation effect is on the increasing amount of income that's necessary as well. But they'll realize that it would take them 20 plus years in many cases to spend all that money and be out of money. I love so, it. So, yeah, we just look at it from a practical perspective. No magic bullet. Just let's look at it, talk about it, see what's really going on in the real world. Do you find it is difficult to convince people that they can spend their money? Believe it or not, that's so true. <laughs> it is absolutely true. People who have uh, their their DNA is to absolutely save money. And they've been savers all their lives and they've accumulated a, a vast amount and they have a hard time spending it. Yes. Yes. I think so we, we're just, most of us are raised that way. We accumulate, we save, and then to spend is difficult. Of course, yeah. once you take that first step, it gets a little bit easier each time. Yep. 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 Feels better and better. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? But then you start spending on family. Mm -hmm. friends and that feels fantastic that's right yeah the uh the joy is in the giving not the receiving absolutely mm -hmm. well ken are there any final comments you'd like to make here things that we did not really get into but you'd like to mention before we wrap up yeah I, you know again i this is just such a broad brush this is a personalized conversation that we have these are kind of the highlights of what it would look like and and i think the message is is that there there's effort that is necessary to be put into the research and the understanding of all the decisions in all phases of personal finance and that's why i always emphasize personal finance is all about the personal part of it all right ken how can a listener reach you well our phone number here is the easiest way to get a hold of us because we answer the phones at the office at 321-454-3623 again that's 321 Four five four three six two three. Our office is in Merritt Island, Florida. So easy to, to get to the office. We do in-person appointments as well as phone appointments, but we can also uh, you can do your research and take a look at our uh, website at pinnaclefinancialwealthmanagement.com. And follow this podcast to make sure you don't miss any episode of Roadmap to Retirement. Be sure to share with friends and colleagues as well. And thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to the Roadmap to Retirement podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.pinnaclefinancialwealthmgmt.com or give us a call at 321-454-3623. Securities offered through Center Street Securities, Inc., CSS, a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Center Street Securities Advisors, CSA, a SEC-registered investment advisor. Pinnacle Financial Wealth Management, CSS, and CSA are independent entities. Discussions are meant to be general in nature and may not be suitable for all investors. Please consult a tax professional regarding any tax implications.